for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. At the moment, we're doing a series that is going to lead up to our new kind of launch of our community groups, which is happening in May. Um, and uh, today I got given the title, or actually, you know, I'd agreed the title, because Richard and I sort of wrote out some of the topics, ideas for this series. And I said, I'll do, I'll do one on worshipping together. And then as I was preparing it, I was like, I don't want to do it on worshipping together. I really felt God calling me to talk about carrying his presence today. Um, and so that's what we're going to look at. Um, but before we do that, can we just pray? Is that all right? Um, so let's just, I, I just want to ask God to help me. But also, it would be great if I could ask God to... Uh, meet with you as well. And, and as, as we do that, just invite the Holy Spirit to come and just fill your heart again. Lord, Lord, we just thank you for today. We thank you that um, you are with us. Lord, we thank you that you go before us. And Lord, we just thank you for the amazing truth that I'm going to speak about this morning, God, that you are with us, that you are in us, Lord, that you are before us. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, today, come and fill each one of us with your presence. Lord, that we might go out of this place into the weeks that we lead, knowing that we carry uh, a boldness, God, that doesn't come from us, but that comes from you. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here today. Lord, I pray, come and just touch what I've prepared. Come and breathe on it. Lord, that it might be more than the sum of its parts, I pray. Amen. 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 Cool. So, yeah, as I've said, we're, we're going to be looking at, over the next few Sundays, Richard started last week, what it means to be a community. So what it means to be a community. And that's really important for us as a church that we keep considering who we are. You know, having that kind of mentality, who are we? Being self-aware as a community about what, what makes us different, what makes us Gateway Church. And so um, over the next few weeks, we're going to be doing that. We've uh, up to getting ready for our group launch. And one of those weeks, we were really lucky, actually. We're going to have uh, a lady called Kirsty with us, who's from King's Arms Bedford. And she runs their community group structure. And their community group structure is very similar to the structure that we're going to implement. And so that's going to be a really helpful Sunday in just kind of understanding a little bit more about how it works in practice. So why are we doing a series on community? Well, and why are we changing groups? I'm sure some of you are like, why do we need to change these groups? I'm quite happy in my group. I like the people that I'm with. I'm quite happy. I don't see the need for, for the church to change groups. Maybe that's how you think about it. Well, we want to we do what we do, but do it better, yeah? We want to we improve on what we do. We, you know, I think there's that thing, isn't there, as a Christian, you always want to, you should always be looking to kind of improve your relationship with God, improve your Christian walk. There's an idea of discipleship is getting, growing closer to God, growing closer to Jesus. But also, as a church, we want to do what we do well, and we always think that there's room for continual improvement in what we do. In terms of the changes that we're making, what what underpins the changes that we're making is is a key heart philosophy of us as a church. And I think it's best summed up by a quote from um, William Temple. And I've I've used this one before because it's one of my favourite quotes. Um, And he was the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, during World War II, before World War II. And he said, the church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. So we, we, we exist for... Not us. We exist for those who aren't here. And that's why we do what we do. Jesus said that we're called to be a city on a hill, that we're called to be a light on a stand, that that there should be something about us that shines, that is different to the culture around us, that makes us unique. We should be like a marker of hope to the hopeless. And uh, for a a long time, our website homepage had like um, kind of reference to the Bible quote, on earth as it is in heaven. You see, we want to show people around us what heaven's culture is like, what kingdom culture is like, what it's like to 
no gods. And as a leadership team, we are passionate about seeing God's kingdom coming in the lives of those in our community, but also those outside our community. You know, my heart for you as, as a Christian is that you know God's coming presence on your life more and more, not just for your own sake, but for the sake of those around you as well. And we want to see that happen in our midweek groups. And um, so Richard spoke about up in and out last week. And up in and out is, uh, is, is important, but it, I, I like to sort of define this as Christianese. <clears throat> it's the sort of language that only we as the church ever sort of understand. It's kind of got this kind of, it's a bit, and it's a real Americanism, but there's a real truth in this, in this up in and out. And, and actually churches base their whole kind of philosophy of ministry, that's how you do church, around this principle of up in and out. Because it, it, the idea is it's making it simple for us to understand. And the way I re- regard this is, look, we want to be focused on God and we want to be focused on discipleship so that we are outward reaching. Yeah, it's not we want to be focused on God and focused on discipleship and that's it. We want to be focused on God and focused on discipleship with the result being outward reaching. And we want you to be confident in seeking God's presence at home, in our community, So I'll just stop for a minute. I'll just carry on. I've got a loud voice. It's fine. Um, you need to be confident in seeking And so we want groups that confidently seek God, that provide an easy way for anyone attending our church to find community, to find friendship, and that enable us to witness. We want our groups to model those values. We want our groups to be like that. And that's why we are taking some of what Bedford do. And, and the way that Bedford structure their groups, they have three strands, and those three strands we're using. So we're going to have life groups. And life groups will be focused on encouraging community. They'll be focused on seeking his presence, discipleship, and most importantly, equipping for bringing the kingdom in our daily lives. We're going to have missional groups. Those missional groups will be evangelistic. They'll be accessible more easily accessible to those outside of the church because they'll be focused around an activity, on just having fun and enjoying being together, doing something that you might find in common with somebody else. For example, like badminton or like running. You know, it's activities that you can enjoy, but with the intention, and there's an intentionality to it, that we start to bring the kingdom of God to the people that we meet. And lastly, equip groups. Now, I don't know about you, but I could quite easily spend all of my week with you guys. I love you. I want to spend my time with you. And it's really easy to catch, um, to, to, to fill up my, my calendar with stuff to do with church. I don't know if you've, you know, I'm sure you can do that. You look at the week and you go, I've got a church meeting that night, church meeting that night. I'm seeing guys from church the following night. And then on Friday night, I'm going to the cinema with people from church. And you can kind of fill up your whole week if you're not careful with seeing people from church. Now, our equip groups are a way of starting to streamline some of the ministries we run as a community into our weekly group structure. And it's not all of those uh, uh, things that we run, but it's some of them. And it's a way of actually hopefully releasing some time, um, but also it's a way of actually focusing down on what, m- what is really important in terms of discipleship, training, and development for us as a church. And one of the big things that we will face as we grow as a church is, is leadership. Leadership is incredibly important, and you are all leaders. And the important thing is, is how we develop leaders as a church so that actually we can continue to grow well, because you can't grow well without... Um, growing leadership. And that's why equip groups will be really important to that. 
Another issue we face as a growing church is that in, a, in a, any community of over 200 people, you will not know everybody anymore. Okay? It's impossible to remember everybody's names and know people. And what that means is for some of us, is that unless you're a loudmouth like I am, because I can get away with not using a microphone when I'm preaching, um, unless you're a loudmouth like I am, friends and finding community can be quite difficult. And maybe some of you have found that as you've kind of entered into the church community. It's been quite difficult. because, And the reason for that is that actually we have our established friendship groups within the church. And, um, and, and it can make it difficult to actually feel like you belong. Our intention is that by changing the, the way that we do groups to a 10-week structure, so it'll be a sign-up, you will have a, a little period of time to sign up to a new group for the term. Our intention that as we do that, that will start to solve that problem. Because what it does is it gives people an easy access into groups. It means that if I've just started coming along to the church for a couple of months and all of a sudden there's this sign-up for these groups, great, I can sign up for a group and I might not know anybody in that group, but actually I know that that's going to give me an opportunity to get to know them. And they're all going to be new to one another as well. So I don't feel like I'm coming in as the, the new person into this really established friendship group. Um, it's a really good way of hopefully breaking down some of those barriers that some of us may well have felt. You see, we want everybody in our church to feel like they belong. Everybody. And we want to make it easy for people to feel like they belong. And I think we have a, a responsibility as a community to be outward-looking and focused on the people right at the edge of church. You know, Jesus' heart, wasn't it, in, in the Gospels? He went to the woman at the well. He went to Zacchaeus, people who were outcasts from society. Actually, our focus as a church needs to be on new people, on guests, on those outside our community, as William Temple said. So that's where we're at. And I'm hoping you can see, I'm, re- I'm genuinely passionate about this, because you know there's some things you do in church and you make a change? You know, I've been there myself. You know, leaders make changes and it doesn't really change anything. And you kind of go, well, what was the point in that? That was just quite a lot of hard work for no, no reward. I genuinely believe that as we change this, it will change the culture of the church, but also that it will bring life and it will solve problems for you as an individual. I genuinely believe that. And so I think be encouraged, be expectant about what God's going to do as we hit this new season. So just getting into it a bit now with, in terms of my content for today. Richard uh, mentioned last, uh, last week about Acts 2.42, and I, just, I want to start here and, and jump off into something else. Um, so Acts 2, so what's happened is the Holy Spirit's turned up in the lives of these, these uh, believers in Jesus. Jesus told them to wait for him to turn up, and all of a sudden they get filled with the Holy Spirit and then the church starts to grow like at an exponential rate. And we get this kind of reading from Acts 2. And it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number those daily those who were being saved. And so this community was a radical community. They were radical. They, they, they gave themselves to teaching, to discipleship, to prayer. They shared their material possessions with one another. They showed generosity that exceeds any generosity I've ever shown. They sold their possessions and gave them to the poor. You know, they, they, they did something that was incredible. They praise God and, and they grew daily. And the thing that underpins all of this is this event that had happened. 
this marking of the Holy Spirit. They, they, they'd, had, they'd known an event that had never happened before. The Holy Spirit had come and filled the lives of the believers. He had come and just come and dwelt with them. And this is unique, and it's something that is now unique to you as a believer. You see, Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, was when the church started. And it was because God breathed his life into the lives of the believers. And if you read it, it says... You know, it, so, so Peter, when he addresses the crowd, because when the Holy Spirit comes, they, the, the, the crowd, the, the other Jews around, they think they're all drunk, yeah? So they, they're enjoying God in such a way that everybody thinks these guys must be absolutely drunk off their faces. And Peter says, no, look, come on, guys. It's nine o'clock in the morning. We, don't be daft. Um, and he says, look, this is because the, the prophet Joel spoke these words, in the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And Peter is saying, look, this is that day. This day has come, it's come right now, and it's come here. You need to realise that you live in that day. You live in the same day. You live in the day of the Holy Spirit coming to meet with you as an individual. That's the day that we live in. We live in that age. See, if we're going to have groups that bring the kingdom, we need to know what the kingdom is like. We need to have a trust and a faith in knowing what the presence of God is like in our lives. So, I don't know about you, but I tend to stick quite closely to the New Testament when I'm reading the Bible. Who does that? Who, who often, who, come on, let's be honest, who more, more often than not reads the New Testament than they do the Old Testament? Thanks, Nick. Yeah, see, yeah, right? Because it's about Jesus, so it kind of makes it a little bit more set. Well, I'm a Christian, so therefore I'm going to read about Jesus. And actually, the Old Testament, maybe you dip into the Psalms, but maybe you don't really go beyond that because actually it's, it doesn't seem like it all fits together that well. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about you, but that's how I feel. Um, I, I spoke about this before, but you can divide the Bible into a series of temples. Okay? So you can look at the Bible almost being like a series of temples. And a temple is a place where God dwells with people. And so the first temple you can read about in the Bible is actually in Genesis. And the first temple that we see in the Bible is the Garden of Eden. You see, it was a place where God came and resided, came and communed with Adam and Eve. It was a temple, it was a place where God dwelt, a place where he could commune with man. And Adam and Eve experienced and knew the continual presence of God with them. They they walked with God in the garden with him. They knew what his kingdom was like, and they knew it because they experienced it daily. They saw him, they walked with him. That's what the Bible says, God walked with Adam and Eve. And as we know, their sin broke that relationship. So their sin broke the ability to be able to walk with God in the way they had done. God is so holy and set apart that it meant that actually uh, they, they, they couldn't walk with God anymore. And God exiled them from the garden, reads Genesis 3. They were pushed out. They could no longer experience the daily ongoing presence of God with them. If you move forward a little bit in the Old Testament, you will find that the Israelites, God's chosen people, through the promise made to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, they end up again in exile. But this time they end up in exile in Egypt. And they are under the control and rule of a king called Pharaoh, yeah? And Pharaoh abuses them with harsh labour. He will not let them go and worship their gods. He will not let them go. He is a horrible, horrible dictator of a king. And then eventually, doesn't he, he lets them go. And Moses is able to take the people out of Egypt and he takes them into the desert and they are able to commune with God. And Moses goes up Mount Sinai and he gets given the Ten Commandments. And these Ten Commandments are really interesting because they are almost like a complete opposite of the rule and reign of Pharaoh. So you have the harsh rules of Pharaoh and then you have God saying, 
I am the Lord your God. Take a rest. Have a Sabbath rest. I am the Lord your God. Don't worship any other gods before me. If you want me as your king, this is how it's going to be. God creates a way for the Israelites to once again, like Adam and Eve did in the garden, begin to be able to commune with him. And in Exodus, we read of God's instructions, not only for these Ten Commandments, but instructions for the temple. And I spoke last time I preached about the Holy of Holies. Um, and today I just want to talk about the Ark of the, the, the Covenant. And I, there's some things I want to pull out of it for you today. You see, God had created this place. So he, 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 Moses gets given the Ten Commandments, and then God gives Moses instructions for how the Israelites can then commune with God. And what happens is, is that he uh, gives... Uh, Moses' instructions about how he can create uh, both an Ark of the Covenant and, and, and a tabernacle around it. And the Ark was the place that God was saying to Moses, this is where you'll meet with me. This is where my presence will now reside. I'm not going to walk with you like I did in the garden, but you're going to be able to come and meet with me, meet with my presence. Uh, once a year, the high priest will be able to come and commune with me. And the Ark of the Covenant, which you can read about in Exodus 25, is a box covered in gold. I don't know whether you've seen um, Indiana Jones. Here it is. Here's Indiana Jones on the right, stealing the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, and it's all a bit of a nonsense, that film, eventually. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in a minute. Okay? The Ark is the focal point of the tabernacle worship and the temple worship, when Solomon built the temple. It's the focal point. It's the place where God dwelt. Exodus 25, 22 says, there I will meet you. So God says to Moses, there I'm going to meet you. And from above the mercy seat, and the mercy seat was the top of the box, there I'm going to meet you. But from between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Covenant. So God is saying, look, this is the place where you can come and meet with me. This is going to be like my footstool. So in, in the Psalms, we have the, the, the idea that the Ark was like the footstool of God's. There you can meet with me. And... So it's a, it's a box, and interestingly, on top of this box, there are these two uh, winged cherubim. Now, don't confuse cherubs with cherubim, okay? Can we see the cherub for a minute? That's a cherub, yeah? As Claire said, it's like Jude with wings. Um, that's a cherub. A cherub is not a cherubim. Let's, can we put a picture of a cherubim up? These are cherubim. These, this is an Assyrian cherubim, Okay. So in, in ancient cultures, they, they had these kind of, this understanding potentially of, um, of things that were not necessarily of this world. Here's a cherubim. This is much more like the type of animal, beast you see in Revelation than it is a human-formed character. So cherubim within ancient cultures were much more like guards than they were like babies with wings. And there's some interesting things about this. So... First of all, you'll notice that I, I spoke about Adam and Eve at the start, and they, they were exiled from the garden. When they got exiled from the garden, God placed two cherubim, two heavenly beings, on the gates of the garden. And the, the role of the cherubim was to stop Adam and Eve re-entering the garden. They were to stop Adam and Eve entering the presence of God again. Yeah, We've got cherubim on top of the ark. These ark... These cherubim are, are, are signifying that same thing. They're signifying that there is a barrier between us and God. They are signifying that there's a, 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 a break between the people and gods. But the interesting thing, that they, uh, they, they're doing something different. They're not looking outwards. They're looking downwards. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. So what was inside the box? What might, might maybe looking at? Well... As in Hebrews 9.4 describes, there were te the Ten Commandments were placed inside the box, Aaron's budding staff, 
so the, the staff that budded, and, and a pot of manna. And the reason for this was, it was reminders to, to the Israelites, to, to God's people, about the promises that God had given them, about the way that he had delivered them out of slavery. Um, this is a complete aside, but do you remind yourself of what God's done for you in your own life? Do you do the same thing? Do you have, not, not, a, not a pot of manna, but do you have prophecies that God's given you? Do you sometimes, when you're going through a hard season, sit and think, why is God not for me? Or do you remind yourself of all the times that God has been for you? Because that's how the Israelites did worship, yeah? When, when, when uh, David in the Psalms did worship, he reminded himself of all the times that God had come through for him. And, and it's great to have reminders of what God has done for you. We go, so just going back to this thing about this, uh, these cherubim. So these cherubim were really important. And they were important for this reason. They were looking at something. They were looking at the top of the box because they were looking at what's inside of the box. They were... They were looking at the box because they were pointing towards something. They were saying, this is the only way you can come to God is by doing something. And they were looking at the box. And do you know what happened once a year? Is that the, I've said this before as well, but the, the, the high priest would go into the temple. And the high priest, once a year, he would go into the temple and he'd offer a sacrifice of sin for himself and a sacrifice of sin for the people. And what he would do is the first offering he would give was the, the offering of blood from a goat. And he would go up to the Ark of the Covenant and he would touch it with the blood of the, the bull and he would place it on top of the Ark. And then he would offer a, an offering for the people. Okay, And what he would do is he would take a goat without blemish and he would slaughter it and he would take its blood and he would place it on top of the ark, exactly where the, the cherubim are looking. Okay, The cherubim are pointing towards the blood and they're pointing towards the commandments in the box. And they're saying, look, you can only come to God through blood and through the commandments. That's the only way you can come to him. So why is that important to you? Maybe you've started to cotton on to what I'm talking about here. Jesus said, don't think that I've come to fulfill, sorry, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, but I've come to fulfill them. I've not come to abolish, but I've come to fulfill. Jesus um, is said of in Hebrews that he entered once and for all into the holy place, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption for you. For if the blood of goats and bulls sanctifies those who have been defiled so that their flesh is purified, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience from dead works to worship the living God? See, the amazing truth that you have is that because of what Jesus has done, you have access to God. So where the, the high priest used to go in and place the blood on the Ark of the Covenant, and, used to, and the cherubim would look down and they would be looking at the commandments in the box. Now, because of Jesus, the law has been fulfilled over your life, the blood of Jesus has been sufficient for you, and you're, you're able to walk free. And not only that, you're able to know God. You're able to know God. You're able to carry his presence. In the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit time and time again, anointing individuals for certain tasks. So read the book of Judges. Samson is anointed by the Holy Spirit. But he's not anointed in the way that you are anointed because he was anointed for a given season, yet actually the Holy Spirit has been poured out on you as a believer and you have that forever. Okay, It's a different kettle of fish because Jesus has done what he did. You see, no longer is the presence of God residing over a box somewhere. He is living inside of you. He's living inside of you today. Paul writes that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit. 
Your body is now a temple for the living God to come and inhabit and dwell. The same God who was over the ark is now living inside of you. When you go to work, when you stay at home, when you meet with others from church in groups or in meetings, the presence of God goes with you. The presence of God goes with you. If you live in the growing expectation of how he can work in your life, something about your life and the way you live it should change. You know, if you, if you start to have a growing expectation of, I'm carrying the presence of God in me. I'm a temple for the Holy Spirit. I've got God living and dwelling inside of me. That should start to change how you live. Now, Israel were a peculiar nation. They were, they were odd. They worshipped a very different God from the other cultures and religions around them. They were really different. You see, God wanted all their attention, didn't he? God didn't let them worship other gods. It's one of the other Ten Commandments. Have no other gods before me. God didn't want them to worship other gods. But instead, God, Yahweh, wanted their total devotion. Israel were really different from the cultures around them. They were marked by something. They were marked by circumcision. You know, every male in, 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 in Israel was marked by circumcision. They were odd. They were weird. Other cultures around them couldn't quite work them out because they weren't like the other cultures. And in a similar way, we're called to be different. We're called to be different to the culture around us. We're called to be unique. And we're called not to move with every cultural trend, but called to demonstrate the kingdom of God. You see, you're not marked by circumcision. You're marked by something much more profound than that. You're marked by the Spirit of God. You're marked by the Holy Spirit. It, it, it says um, in the New Testament that, that the Holy Spirit is your, is your seal. He is your guarantee of the new life that is to come. The Holy Spirit living inside of you is your mark. He is like, it's like God has come and marked you with his Holy Spirit. You see, our role in Ashford is to change culture. And the way that we do that is through love, compassion, grace, but most importantly, the power of God. That's how we do it. Just this week on three separate occasions, Claire amazingly has had the opportunity to share the gospel with three mums from ED school. Three, three days in a row. So, it, you know, the first day you're like, oh, she, she sort of told me the story and a lady had asked for a Bible to read the Bible. And so you go, this is amazing. This is great. The next day I get a text message. You won't believe what's happened. Somebody else has asked to, to talk to me about Jesus. And you're like, no, this is amazing. Third day, you won't believe what's happened. Somebody else has said, can you tell me about Jesus? And what does this tell you? Look, there are people in Ashford. There's... People are hungry for, for truth. They're hungry for Jesus. And you carry his presence with you. You know, what an amazing truth that is. We have the ability to bring the presence of God into the people around us. As with Israel, who sometimes knew God with them in greater or lesser measure, we can know God more and more in our lives. We can know an increasing activity of the presence of God in us. And we do that through being filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, Paul writes in Ephesians 5, he says, keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't just do it once. Keep doing it continually. And I'll, and I'll preach on this again and again and again. Because it is the, it's the lifeblood of your life as a Christian to be filled with the Holy Spirit daily, to keep coming to God and going, Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Come and fill me. Come and give me power to live, power to breathe, power to witness. There's another comparison between our situation and that of the Israelites. You see, where God chose to dwell at a given location, there are examples of the ark going with the people as they crossed the Jordan, for example. But predominantly, the ark stood in a, a, a given location at a given time. When you're a Christian and you sit under the new covenant, you can know the presence of God with you wherever you go. 
wherever you go, residing in you, working through you. In fact, God wants you to share that kingdom with those around you. Experiencing and knowing the presence of God isn't just for you, it's for those around us. It's for you to share. It's for you to share the goodness. You know, if I have a really amazing meal at a restaurant, I want to go, taste a bit of this. This is incredible. Try it out. Because you want to share it with people. My encouragement to you is to be bold and share what God has given you. Share what God's given you, because he's given you life. He's given you the ability to access him, to be his friend, to know him whenever you want. You don't have to rely on a priest somewhere rubbing blood on a box in order to know God. You can know God minute in, minute out. Imagine one day, and I do, I'm a bit of a dreamer. Imagine one day, Gateway Church is a church that's seeing people saved every day. Imagine it. How cool would that be? Every day, somebody got added to our number. 365 people in a year. Could you imagine it? Wouldn't that be amazing? It would be amazing. But it's, but it's not impossible. You know, and I think sometimes we need to challenge our expectations a little bit. Imagine as a church, we were like the early church, seeing miracles and signs and wonders done through us. Imagine it. You might go be cynical with me, because like, I, I can be quite a cynical person. Maybe you just go, that is just nonsense, Barney. That doesn't happen today. That doesn't happen. Well, why should our expectation of what God can do through us, if God's chosen to place his spirit in us, the spirit of the living God, if he's chosen to place his spirit in us, why should our expectations of what God might do through us be any different from what God did with the early church? Why should they be any different at all? Can I just encourage you to be proactive in seeking the Holy Spirit's presence in your life so that through you, God's kingdom might advance in the lives of the people you meet, that they might discover him for themselves. You see, we're called to carry the presence of God into the world. We're called to take his presence with us. And our new groups are aiming to help facilitate that. That's why we're doing it. We want to be presence carriers. We want to bring the presence of God when we play badminton. We want to bring the presence of God when we go running. We want to bring the presence of God in the activity groups that we do, but also in our life groups because we want to see the world changed. We've got a hope in us the hope of all the world, and it's the hope of a new earth, the hope of eternal life, the hope of a future that is not like today. We see evil around us all the time, but you and I have a hope in us. We have this hope that will never fade or perish or spoil, a hope that actually one day Jesus the King is going to return. And, you know, in the Bible, there's, it starts with a temple and it ends with a temple. Because in the Bible, what happens is in Revelation is that when Jesus returns, he comes and dwells with his people. And, and, and he comes and dwells with his people on a renewed earth. You know, the earth is going to be renewed as Jesus comes to dwell with his people. And once again, it will be like a temple again with God residing with man in a way that we don't quite get yet. We have, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, but one day Jesus will come and dwell with us and we will see him and we will see him and know him as he is. That's what the Bible says. And that's the truth that we're living for. You see, we know when we go into people's lives and they say, why does God allow suffering? And you go, well, I don't know why God allows suffering. But do you know what I do know? Is that actually Jesus is coming again. Jesus is going to come put an end to this. I don't know why God allows it yet, but I do know that Jesus is going to overcome evil. I do know that one day Jesus is going to overcome suffering. I do know that one day Jesus is going to come back again and solve the problems that we see around us. That's the hope that I have. What hope do you have? You know, 
That's what we have, okay? And I think be encouraged today, be encouraged to go out this week into the lives that you lead. Be encouraged to know that the Holy Spirit is for you and dwelling inside of you. Um, And as we go into this new season of groups, be encouraged that the Holy Spirit is going to meet with us as we worship and meet together, as we go and do life together. Can I ask the band to come back up? I'm just going to pray for us as we... Let's all stand. I want to stoke a fire in you, yeah? That's what I want to do. I'm trying to stoke a fire in you that, that actually be, 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 be expectant of what God could do through you because you are loved by him. You are loved by him. Be encouraged. He, he wants to meet with you even today. He wants to meet with you in this place for the next half an hour. He wants to meet with you. So maybe you just want to re- reach out your hands to him and say, Holy Spirit, come and fill me today. Come and meet me today. Can we just do that? Come on, let's be proactive in it.